If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate can be your strength. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. It may even be a helpful tool in managing cognitive decline. Flava Naturals Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate with great flavor and minimal sugar. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. That's flavanaturals.com. There you'll find the extensive research behind cocoa flavanols benefits and great recipes too. That's flavanaturals.com. FlavaNaturals.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest is Dr. Ruchi Gupta. She's an expert on the subject of food allergy. She conducts uh, research on that subject. Uh, she's a professor of pediatrics and medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. And uh, she is also the Chief Medical Officer for Public Health for FAIR, Food Allergy Research and Education. So um, she knows whereof she speaks. Now, uh, Dr. Gupta, uh, I'm not done with you because i um, got some uh, interesting areas to probe. Food allergy tests. You know, there are even uh, home self-test kits based on saliva, yeah. even on hair. And in fact, uh, <laughs> I was casually walked watching Shark Tank, which is, you know, not, you know, a steady, I'm um, not a steady diet of that, but I find it amusing sometimes to watch. And, um, yeah. there was, uh, a, an outfit called, uh, Everly Well that got a million dollar advance on Shark Tank, uh, for home allergy tests. Uh, influencers on Instagram are using these tests. Uh, there's one. Uh, that boasts, quote, 80 common food and drink triggers for just $127. And you can test yourself. You can test your whole family. Cost a little more. You can get a package deal. And that's by finger stick, <laughs> home finger stick. Others are offered based on hair. And then they have a computerized elimination diet that they send you based on their findings. So what say you? Oh, my goodness. Ah, what say me? Um, I say go see your doctor. I, uh, I think there's a lot out there because, like I said, what we found was one in five adults are avoiding a food. A national survey in the United States, uh, one in five adults are avoiding a food thinking they have a food allergy. When we looked at the symptoms uh, that they are reporting, we cleaned it up and uh, – about one in 10 seem to have convincing symptoms of mm -hmm. a food allergy. So 5%, you know, have something else or 10% have something else. And then when we looked at how many were getting a physician diagnosis, it was one in 20. So very few people, most adults, and I'm, there's no, again, guilt or blame because, you know, adults, we take a lot better care of our kids than we do of ourselves. And if we eat a food and have a negative reaction, typically we just avoid the food. 
and or do one of these self-tests, but don't actually go in to see an allergist to really understand what's going on. And um, I can't I can't advocate for that enough because when you talk about over-the-counter tests, even the tests that we have, you know, in clinic right now are not ideal. So they are great for. Now I'm going to talk about two tests. One are and these are both by your physician. Um, they one is called the specific IgE. It's a blood test. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is looking for like peanut IgE in your blood. Now, if that is negative, then there is a high probability, the negative predictive probability is high that you do not have that food allergy. Now, if it is positive, then it's not great. It's kind of like a flip of a coin. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important. The same with the skin prick test, you know, where they um, prick you with mm-hmm. small amounts of the uh, food protein to see if you develop a wheel. Which has been the mainstay of uh, of allergists for so many decades. You know, people would go for days and hours of skin testing. Yes. And so that tells you, my my daughter just had it this past week with her allergist. Um, So we've just experienced it. And and based on the size of that wheel, uh, they determine whether you may have a true food allergy. Now, that if it's a negative test, then it's highly likely you don't. Mm-hmm. But if it's a positive test, we don't know. Yeah. And so this is the problem with the over-the-counter tests. How accurate are they? And how, if you're eating a food in your diet and it tells you you have an issue with it and you take it out of your diet, mm-hmm. then how is that beneficial for you? So the mainstay for diagnosis is really your your history. So when you eat a particular food, what symptoms do you have? Do you have hives? Do you have vomiting? Do you just have GI cramps? You know, not just, but those are terrible. Mm-hmm. But is and, that and, your and main And make symptom? it rec- replicable because some people say, well, yeah. you know, I ate a tuna fish sandwich and I got sick from it. I'm going to stay away from fish for the rest of my life. That's just, you know, anecdotal. That's not, you know, true science. Exactly. That's right. Because it could be food poisoning. There could have been mm-hmm. something mixed in it, oh. right? Or So what replicating the symptoms and having, you know, very clear idea of what symptoms you had. Um, and when it occurred, did it occur immediately? Did it occur the next day? All of these are very, very important clues to what may be going on in your body. Then going in based on that specific food, not a panel of like 10 foods or 50 foods, like the over-the-counter ones, but the specific foods you're having issues with, take those and test those specifically. And then based on the tests and your history, you can make a diagnosis. If it's still unclear, the best test is a very simple one. It's called an oral food challenge, mm-hmm. and it is exactly what it says it is. You yep. sit in a room and you eat the food in the doctor's in the doctor's office. Yeah, because if yeah. if it's anaphylaxis, yeah. <laughs> you want to. So, I mean, it's yeah, right. Exactly, and then you see if you have a reaction, mm-hmm. and if you do, you know the doctor is there with meds ready mm-hmm. to go, mm-hmm. and if you don't, then you don't have that food allergy. So. I, I highly, highly encourage people who have anything that happens when they eat a food to see an allergist and mm-hmm. get a very clear diagnosis and not not rely on these over-the-counter like methods. Like a mail-order test. Um, what, what about the possibility yeah, because, that uh, hair could a hair analysis could shed light on uh, allergies? Is that at all medically, scientifically plausible? Boy, uh, <laughs> I mean, my answer is no. 
but you know, I always know that there's always a little gray, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but mm-hmm. I, I would say avoid all of those. There are better tests coming out. There's epitope mapping tests. There are things that are coming out, you know, through the proper mechanisms and research mm-hmm. that will hopefully be much more reliable in the coming years. So we will have better tests, but for now, trust your allergist. Go and see him. If you don't mm-hmm. feel good, go see another one, but, but get, proper testing from a physician because you know what bothers me the most is there's so many people avoiding so many foods that they enjoy they, they become food phobic they become food yes. phobic in effect yeah yeah and it's so difficult to avoid some of these foods that are so common in your diet mm-hmm. so i the biggest thing is i don't want anyone taking food out of their diet without a true confirmation mm-hmm. So, yeah. about the, I live with it, so we avoid foods. And what yeah. about uh, IgG as a measure of food intolerance, or IgG subclass 4? That has been touted as uh, a pretty good way of picking up so-called hidden food allergies, the non-IgE-mediated food intolerances. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, I think in the medical community, it's n- still not well-regarded. IgG has a role. It definitely does, but truly understanding, you know, what... Uh, what its measurement is telling you. I, I don't know how much, you know, true published scientific research mm-hmm. is um, supporting that. And, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, completely negate it because I have heard, um, you know, the work around it, but I haven't, I haven't done a ton of research around, okay. you know, what is out there. But I will say the IgE-mediated food allergies, you can only get by testing and looking for IgE or doing that skin prick test or that oral food challenge. And that is the absolute best way with your allergist to get a true diagnosis. So, yeah, I, you know, I've seen, I've had so many people come in who have done those tests and are avoiding 10 foods in their diet. And it really breaks my heart because a lot of times they say, oh, they were eating those foods just fine, you know? Mm -hmm. And then as you know, and I know, like there's a big placebo effect, right? If you tell someone this is going to make them feel better, there's a high probability it probably will. Mm-hmm. So um, just to keep that in mind, that the placebo effect could be causing that, and they may not need to take those foods out of their diet. When it comes to allergy, there's a new kid on the block. Beef, pork, and lamb allergy. That's weird because those oh, foods yeah. are generally very well tolerated, but all of a sudden, something new. Yes. Yes, this is really interesting. Um, call it alpha-gal. Yep. Uh, and it is a uh, tick-borne condition. So um, you do see it uh, in the U.S. In the um, southwest, um, midwest, you know, tick regions, you, you do see people developing these very strong reactions to meat. Uh, and it is it is something very unique and, and there's a couple researchers in the country who are experts at it and, and really investigating it. But it is through a, a tick-borne uh, condition called alpha-gal. And so if you do have those symptoms, then you definitely need to get to your allergist oh. to, truly, to truly diagnose that. But I know that is a, that's a difficult one because people were eating it just fine and then all of a sudden have this severe reaction. What, what know, type of reaction? Because it's not just a repugnance. You know, some people say, Ugh, you know, uh, I, I ate too much, you know, and I feel, you know, bloated or something. Uh, it, it's pretty distinct, isn't it? 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, you can have significant reactions um, similar almost to anaphylaxis. I mean, very severe reactions. Like and the so flushing it is, it is, and, uh, you know, vomiting yep. and all kinds yeah. Exactly. So very, and the idea is very they're, they're sensitive. Very important. Why they're sensitive to different uh, species of animals is that it's a reaction to a protein found in mammalian meat, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So 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 technically, <laughs> probably, technically, you couldn't be a cannibal because that's mammalian meat, right? It doesn't, you know. Yeah. But the most common mammalian meats we eat are uh, beef, pork, and lamb. But not not it. chicken and, then, and while not fish. You're on this, right, right. That's exactly right. Um, although I do want to say, as you mentioned, fish. The number one food allergy in adults is shellfish, and uh, mm-hmm. in kids, it's I think third. But in adults, shellfish is way above all others. Yeah. It's um, almost double the next to milk and egg. I mean, milk and peanut. And what I want to mention about that is that in adults, when we looked at adults. Almost 50% of adults with a convincing food allergy said they developed it as an adult. And that mm-hmm. was a big number for us because, you know, thought of it when you were talking about, you know, meat allergy, but food allergies in adults, many adults are reporting developing a brand new food allergy as an adult. And the number one that they are reporting is shellfish. So mm-hmm. they could eat it and they enjoyed it. And I've had so many people tell me how much they enjoyed shellfish and it's so hard to avoid and sometimes they'll try just a little. And it's it's fascinating to me because there is something going on, like when we talk about the environment, in adults. And so in our survey, we actually asked them a couple questions around, okay, when you develop this adult onset food allergy, what happened? And co- some of our theories around adults are, you know, potentially, um, did they get a virus or, mm-hmm. or have an infection that may have influenced their immune system during that time and triggered it. Did they, you know, we've seen it in hormonal changes. We see women who are pregnant or go through menopause developing new allergies. Mm-hmm. So was there something around that? Did they change their environment? Coming back to your piece about what's the environmental influence, you know, we, we did talk about that as well. Like, was there an environmental change in your life that caused it? So we're, we're still looking into um, the results of that, but adult onset food allergy is getting much more common and something about shellfish that we're, we're trying to better understand. A lot of my patients uh, who are allergic to shellfish believe that they should avoid all fish uh, and even to the extent of avoiding uh, taking fish oil pills, which are beneficial. Uh, is it, yeah. Does uh, shellfish allergy usually cross-react with fish allergy? Is it, uh, or is it, are they separate and distinct? Yeah, so this is, this is very important. So shellfish and finfish are usually distinct. Mm-hmm. You can have both, but you don't have to. Okay. So um, if you are allergic to shellfish, many people are just allergic to shellfish and can eat finfish just fine and have no issues with it. So this is, again, one of those uh, points of, you know, get it diagnosed, test for finfish. If you're okay with finfish and can eat it, keep it in your diet. You know, one of the big things that we don't know the answer to is if you have what we call a sensitivity to it. So you have a positive test but you're eating the food in your diet. We see this a lot, right? Yeah. So you'll be you'll be positive. You'll have an IgE value that's positive, but you're eating it every day. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens if you take the food out of your diet? You know, mm-hmm. are you more likely? Will you be triggered 
easier, yeah. you know, to develop it. We don't know that. But what could we it, do could know it come back with a vengeance? You, in other words, you know, you, yeah, yeah. So right. Uh, so the best thing is just to keep it in your diet. You know, if you're eating something and not having any issues, keep eating it, and especially if you enjoy it. You know, but the minute you start having issues, take it out. But don't take it out because there was a test that was mm-hmm. positive. Okay. Um, I think that's one of the key messages, if I had any. So the the tests are useful guideposts, but they're not gospel, and uh, they're merely a tool in the hands of the the clinician to advise the patient. Uh, So the the direct-to-consumer thing with these tests uh, may not be so great because it it eliminates uh, the intercession of an experienced uh, uh, allergy expert. Soy allergy is another one that a lot of people claim. And, you know, soy is a problematic food because it's hard for some people to digest. Some people are concerned about the hormonal effects of soy. Some people are concerned about uh, that a lot of soy is GMO, so they don't want to eat it because it has uh, glyphosate in it. But is is soy allergy per se uh, pretty common or, or relatively uncommon? So soy allergy is one of the top nine allergens, mm-hmm. okay. uh, I believe it's number eight. It's it's the lowest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it isn't that common. Um, but it is, you know, in the top nine right before sesame. So um, I wouldn't avoid it. it. So if you eat soy and you have, you know, GI issues, that's something different. But you can have a true IgE-mediated soy allergy, which mm-hmm. can cause those symptoms that we discussed, you know, the organ system, skin, hives, you know, I, I just want to keep repeating this because I, I think it's so important to know what the symptoms are for food allergy. So skin is one of the most common developing hives or rash or itching or swelling. Um, you often get tightening in your throat and then you go into the respiratory and you can have trouble breathing or wheezing, um, especially if you have uncontrolled asthma. You can get uh, asthma symptoms mm. as well. You can get GI is very common, so the vomiting, but yep. that's also common with intolerances. And then cardiovascular, you know, a drop in blood pressure mm-hmm. um, can happen pretty rapidly. Like a so shock-like, those are, a shock-like those are, syndrome, in effect. Yeah, yep. getting dizzy. and Yeah, exactly. That's right. And that's where often you can um, deteriorate pretty quickly. And, and, you know, food allergy symptoms come on pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. It's not after a day or usually, you know, a longer period of time, they usually come on within that first hour of ingesting the food. So that would be like a contradistinction really to celiac to disease, like a celiac person, yes. you know, if they ingest inadvertently, you know, a little bit of wheat, they're not gonna have an immediate violent reaction, but that gradually, gradually, you know, they're, they're going to if they uh, eat a little bit here and there, they're going to have GI symptoms. They're going to have all the other symptoms associated with it. But that's a slow building phenomenon as opposed to a that's, true food allergy. That's right. And that's what makes celiac so challenging and often so challenging to diagnose because you're not having these rapid effects. You know, you see a lot of kids who, you know, get that stomach pain and irritation, and um, but then they have growth delays. And I think that's important mm-hmm. to note. So a lot of children... Um, because you're not digesting, you know, that food, uh, and you end up having delayed growth. So that is often something that um, parents come in with their children, and then we realize they have celiac. So celiac is another important one to keep in mind, um, because like you said, the symptoms are not 
as noticeable mm-hmm. immediately. That's, that's a whole different ball of wax. We could do an entire program on yeah. that. Uh, so what's in the right. pipeline now for uh, treatment of allergies? You know, mentioned uh, new techniques of oral yes. tolerization. Don't necessarily try this at home. Do it under, you know, careful <laughs> supervision. Uh, but, uh, you know, are there any breakthrough immunotherapies, uh, you know, allergy blocking yes. therapies, uh, therapies that can make uh, allergies vanish? Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish. I wish we could make them vanish, hopefully soon. But, um, yes, so it is a very exciting time in this field um, from treatment standpoint because we do now have our first FDA-approved treatment, which is uh, oral immunotherapy for peanuts specifically. So it is introducing small amounts and, and building up to uh, being able to tolerate a certain amount of peanut. Now, similar treatments, oral immunotherapies, are being developed for the other top allergens and are very close. The other couple things uh, are there is a um, epicutaneous immunotherapy. So uh, it's it's like a patch, patch on your skin. Yeah, that you will get the protein through that, through your skin, mm. and that will allow you to slowly build up tolerance to that food. So that's being developed. I think that is um, getting close to approval. There are uh, clinical studies continuously going on, but that's being developed for peanut. And then, of course, you know, there's milk and egg and some of the other other common foods that uh, both oral immunotherapy and, you know, this epicutaneous immunotherapy are um, are focusing on. Um, other ones that are being researched are sublingual immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, same idea, you know, protein, but sublingual under your tongue. Um, but then there's a whole new category of biologics, like you said, that block Blockers, certain yeah. immune, yeah, yeah, that are being studied in clinical trials right now. So that is really exciting because now these would be biologics where now you have you know, a shot that you get, kind of like, you know, what people are used to with allergy shots, but this one you would get um, on a regular basis uh, that would, again, build up tolerance and potentially to multiple foods, maybe not just to one food at a time. So those are currently being um, investigated in clinical trials. So I really think in the next, and then there's there's um, investigators looking at vaccines for food allergy. So they're, they're the whole gamut. And I'm, it's very exciting for me because, as I said, I've been in this field for 16 years. And now you're just seeing this rapid growth of um, industry participating and getting involved in creating just really innovative treatments for food allergy. So I think in the next five to 10 years, um, people are going to have choices on how to treat their food allergies. And then on the other end, as we talked about, you know, prevention, you know, potentially being able to prevent food allergies mm-hmm. from ever developing. Yeah. So, yeah, so I want to retire from this field <laughs> with, <laughs> a with couple allergies of years, vanquished. hopefully. Right. Vanquished, yeah, vanished, like you said. Yeah, right. that would be amazing. Right, put you out of business. Uh, yeah. And one final note is, and this is not so much about food allergies, about uh, allergies, environmental allergies, you know, pollen, dust, uh, you know, and, and so on. Uh it's been suggested that there's a relationship between allergies and COVID susceptibility. So, you know, people mm. this time of year, they, you know, they're, they're, they're coughing, they're sniffling, uh, they're rubbing their eyes, they're miserable. Uh, they're wondering, you know, do I have COVID or, you know, is it just a bad spring allergy season? Yeah. <laughs> 
only one way to find out. Yeah. <laughs> um, get tested. But I want to just put that out there because there was a lot of fear early on in COVID, and I feel like it's gone away. But just in case, you know, that if you have food allergies or you have asthma, are you more susceptible yeah. to, to getting COVID? And, and that has not been found to be the case. Or, or the you know, vaccine. We're part of a large... What about people who yeah. have food allergies? You know, yep. like they have an EpiPen at home and they're thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get the COVID, the, uh, the COVID shot and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go into uh, a wheezing, you know, throat closing yep. episode. Yep. Yes. That's and, not you been know, demonstrated? There was, uh, no, no. So there, you know, there were some cases of that early on can't remember which one, um, which it was allergies to the vehicle, the pro- the called propylene glycol or something like that. And yes, some of the shots. See, yeah, see, you know this better than I do. Oh, Thank yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate. It. But what I will tell you, which we were able to do with the NIH, um, a large trial looking at allergic kids, kids with asthma or food allergies. You know, there there is not a higher risk of severe disease, you know, with okay. COVID-19. Okay. And I think that's really important. And then there is some talk that having um, food allergy could be protective, hmm. uh, which is also being investigated. That you but may have a more robust sure immune response, like a stronger immune response. Like, yeah, that's possible too, right? Yeah. So, but what I do want to put people's mind at ease is, is they will not, you know, contract a more severe disease, especially the kids with asthma. Um, there was a lot of fear there mm-hmm. because yeah. it is respiratory. Bad lungs you know, and but right. yeah. yes, but we haven't seen that. So, and yeah, so get your vaccine. It's so important, you know, and, and, and yeah, we, I'm all for moving on <laughs> yeah. and getting back to life as usual. Now that schools are starting to open up and, and people are starting to move around and, um, see each other a little bit more, but definitely keep doing it safely. And, yeah, so we don't see the same same thing happen with another spike. So, Great. but yes, exciting future on all fronts for food allergy and hopefully for our lives going back to normal. Indeed. Okay. Well, it's really been great. And uh, let's point out uh, some resources uh, before we go. Uh, where can people learn more about food allergy? Do you have a website, or does Fair Food Allergy Research and Education yes. have a website? I think theirs is foodallergy.org. Uh, they, for all the prevention stuff, they have one called babiesfirst.org, uh, where you can get a lot of information as if you are a new parent um, of an infant. And then ours is, you know, at Northwestern, it's CFAR, uh, C-F-A-A-R, dot Northwestern, dot E-D-U. And, you know, we have, we have great um, videos and resources, especially if you have a child with food allergy and needs some resources for your school. Um, we have a lot of those on our website. And then, you know, feel free to contact us for anything you may need. Okay, that's uh, C-F-A-A-R, Center for Food Allergy and Asthma Research at Northwestern University. If you put in those uh, that data, you probably get to the website pretty easily. Yep, uh, yeah. Thank you you very much, Dr. Ruchi Gupta. Really appreciate it. Uh, Keep up the great work. Thank you. Yeah, I know. It was my pleasure. Um, I hope it was helpful, but it was great to talk to you. And yeah, get get to an allergist, get tested, figure out what you have. Don't avoid foods unnecessarily. And yes, thank you so much. Good message. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that 
only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust, the very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoffmanStore.com. DearHoffmanStore.com.